It is so good to have you. Welcome home and welcome to Northridge Church. We are grateful and honored that you chose to hang out with us this weekend. And we love you guys and welcome to Northridge Church. Shout out to our Webster campus and those of you on our online campus. We're grateful uh, for you as well. And uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And I I haven't been around as much as I normally would throughout the summer because I just came off a sabbatical where um, I had a chance to just heal a little bit um, from an incredibly difficult year where I lost my dad and had to navigate some really difficult decisions. I'm grateful for a church that gave me a chance just to take a break and heal and restore and and come back ready and excited. And so before we dive into the message, I just want to pause and say thank you to our church. Thank you for the opportunity to just take some time off and, and reflect and, and spend some time just me and God and my family. And, you know, thank you for your cards, your notes, your prayers. They meant so much uh, to me and my family. And I also want to say thank you to our church staff. You know, when I stepped away in, in May, it created some gaps that our staff just had to fill. And man, they did it greatly. And you got to hear some awesome, amazing communicators we have on our team while I was gone. And I'm so thankful uh, for our church and for our staff uh, for this break. And so thank you very much. And you know, what's interesting is on my sabbatical, God uniquely reminded me about you guys even 900 miles away. Right, so in May when I started my sabbatical, part of the the beginning journey was we were just going to spend some time with our kids and with my family, right? And so we drove up the East Coast, we stopped in South Carolina to see a buddy of mine, but the whole end destination was a place called Dadeville, Alabama. Now, I would bet you've probably never heard of Dadeville, Alabama, because it's a really southern, really small country town. It's everything you could imagine in a movie. And the only reason we were going there is because our southern parents, Rodney and Sydney, shout out to them, they watch every week online, um, they have a lake house there. And so no one knows where Dadeville, Alabama is. The only reason anybody would is because there's a lake there. And so we get there, we get settled, we're hanging out, and one morning we go to get breakfast at this place called Home Plate. And so my kids are around the table, they order their hot chocolate with like seven pounds of whipped cream on top, and this older gentleman walks to the side of our booth and sits in the table next to us, and there's something unique about this older gentleman. He's wearing this bright white polo, and he has this logo on his left-hand side, and it's a Buffalo Bills logo. I figured you'd like that, and I'm like, we're in Dadeville, Alabama. Who cheers for the Bills in Dadeville, Alabama? I mean, like, seriously. And so my wife sees it, and my wife is really friendly, and so she leans over. She's like, we're from Western New York, and, and our whole church cheers for the Bills. We're not sure why, but they do. Do you? And this older gentleman smiles. He's got this big smile on his face. And he, and he looks at my wife and he says, honey, not only do I cheer for the Buffalo Bills, but I used to be the general manager of the Buffalo Bills. I got a picture to prove it. Here's Buddy Nix and me hanging out at home plate. So God reminded me of how much I love you guys. The bad news is that has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. So if you got your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We've 
been wrestling with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 in a series called Marked By, because we're looking at character traits of God that we should be marked by. And so we'll start in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And throughout this series, we're just kind of grinding through each characteristic straight that should be true about us as Christ followers. But before we dive into to patience, the fourth fruit, I, I want to review a little bit. I want to kind of catch maybe some people up and remind some people of some really important things that are happening in Galatians chapter 5. And we see this in the very first part of this passage. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit... Now that's really significant because it would be easy for us in this series as we talk about love and joy and peace and patience to leave here saying, man, I've got to muster up the energy and the ability and I've got to somehow manufacture these things in my life. And the problem with that is these are fruits of the spirit. They're not fruits of you. It's only through the power of the spirit of God that these are actually produced in us. And so it would be foolish for us to think that we can somehow be loving, joyful, patient people. It's only with God's help that we can actually live these out. And this series is all about one word. It's a theological word. It's called sanctification. Believe it or not, sanctification should be a really important word to our church because it's half our mission. Right? We exist. Our our mission statement is more and better. More and better followers of Jesus Christ. And that word better is just another word for sanctification. Right? Sanctification is simply God's continued work in us, in me, in you, to make us look more like Jesus. Right? That is the goal of every Christian is that through the days I would emulate, I would look like, I would reflect more of Jesus each and every day. That's half of what we do here at Northridge Church. But sanctification is a big word, and it's hard to like fully comprehend it. So I want you to understand this series is all about being sanctified by the fruit of the Spirit. And so let me give you an example. And in my house, this is a little bit weird, but we eat a lot of carrots, right? We, my wife, we, she leads the charge. She's healthy. And so it's amazing to me how my wife can cook all kinds of meals, and somehow carrots make their way in there. I'm like, I don't know how you do it, but... When we go shopping, we buy a lot of carrots, and we don't buy the normal bag carrots, the bleached carrots. We get the, like, funky-looking carrots. They look like this, right? You got some some leaf. These are organic carrots, and I I got a bigger one here. I cut the stem off. Here's what's interesting about this carrot. It's disgusting. (laughs) Look at that. You probably can't see it, but this looks like a fungus. There's hair on these. There's dirt on these. Anybody like a bite? No, right? It's nasty, right? They're dirty. Like, come on, get someone clean the carrot. Seriously. But we buy them. We buy them. And here's what's crazy. This is how we show up to God. Marred by sin. Dirty, disgusting, messed up people. And guess what happens in my house with this carrot is I'm like the chief peeler guy. So when we're cooking with carrots, I sit at my kitchen and I'm just peeling the carrot, I'm peeling the carrot, and I'm like, holy crap, sanctification. (laughs) It's like, thank you, Jesus. And it, it, it sounds stupid, right? But here's what's crazy. This is what God does in our life. 
We show up before him dirty, nasty, marred by sin, and what he does is he gives us his spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the spirit of God slowly works with us. He redeems us, and he restores us, and he changes us, and he breaks us, and he molds us, and he makes us, and guess what happens? We begin to change, right? Look at that, and then look at this. That's sanctification. It's a silly illustration, but it's a picture of what this passage is all about. God, work, his work in us, that changes us, that makes us look more like him. And so when we, when we view it that way, we read this passage differently. We begin to ask a question. This series, we sh- every week you should be asking this question. Is the spirit of God producing these fruits in my life? Right? Is God producing love in my life? And when we think about it that way, with that backdrop in mind, we read the passage a little bit differently. Right? Instead of knowledge of the fruits of spirit, it becomes a challenge. Right? Let's look at the passage again. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And what happens is when we read it, we ask the question, am I loving? Am I full of joy? Am I kind? Do I have peace? And that challenges us to look inward at our life and beg for God to produce these things in us. And so with that backdrop in mind, we're going to look at the fourth fruit. It's called patience. And if you're wondering if I lost a bet to get patience, (laughs) I feel like I did. Because when you pray for patience or when you study patience, God quickly reveals how impatient you are. And even in studying the word, you almost have to have patience to understand what the word patience means because I read from the New American Standard Bible and the reason why I chose that, we normally use the NIV, is because it said the word patience. But if you go to the NIV, it says forbearance. Okay, what the heck is forbearance, right? Okay, let's go to a different version. The New King James Version, it says long-suffering. And so you're like, which, which is it? Like, what, are we, what, is, what does patience actually mean? Not from like my assumption, but from a biblical standpoint. And I actually like the New King James Version best, this idea of long suffering, because if you study the original language, the Greek here, it's actually two compound words coming together to make one word. It's macro through maya. And these two words, macro meaning long, and, and thrumos or thrumaya meaning passion or temper. And, and so patience defined biblically is actually the ability to hold one's temper for a long time. You see, as God sanctifies us, it's like a fuse, a fuse on a firework, a fuse on, on a bomb, right? And as we grow closer to Jesus, that fuse of our temper and our anger should actually grow longer, not shorter. The problem is, is patience is hard. And God revealed to me, you know, over the last couple of weeks, how impatient I am, right? My wife owns a, a design business, and so she does a lot of interior design around the Rochester area. And just two weeks ago, we were uh, designing a, a spa and salon in the Greece area. And, you know, as we go to a, 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 a design for my wife, I have the privilege and the joy of putting all the furniture together. It's awesome. Let me tell you, I love it. 
And so every design we go to, my, my wife and I show up, and there's this giant wall of cardboard boxes just staring and laughing at me because it's all the furniture I have to put together, you know, credenzas, bookshelves, chairs, you name it, it's there. And so I show up to this salon, and there's this huge pile of boxes that I, I begin to put together, and I come to the last eight boxes or so, and they're all the same. They're identical. They're the same chairs. So I've got to put some chairs together, and I've put every kind of chair together known to mankind. So I'm pretty good at it by then. Like, I know how to use an Allen wrench. I'm just saying. I carry one on me at all times. And so I come to this first box, and I pull out the chairs. It's about four or five pieces, and I'm like kind of cruising through it. And the first chair is always the like, you know, you're just kind of getting a feel for how the chair is put together. And so I'm putting the sides together. I get it all done, and then there's this one piece that's left. It's a decorative piece. There's no structural meaning behind it. It's just a pretty piece on the front of the chair. The problem is this decorative piece goes together by these long bolts, and behind the decorative piece, you have to put these little metal thread things so the bolt can go in the thread, and if it's not perfect, it doesn't work. So I slowly begin to put the first chair together, and I finally, an hour later, get one chair put together. And I'm not even that mad. Like, I get it. The first chair, you got to follow the directions, and you figure it out, and then the seven kind of goes smoothly after that. You got it down. And so I go to the next chair. I'm like, I'm going to breeze through this. So I grab the next chair, and I'm crushing it, right? I've got the chair all together, and here comes the decorative piece again. So I slowly put the bolt in with the thread, and I get it lined up perfectly. I'm gentle. I'm speaking love over this piece of, of thing, and I'm, I'm cranking it in, and I'm cranking it in, and I'm cranking it in, and it's not going anywhere. I'm like, okay, it's okay. So I take the chair back apart. I put it back together, and I'm like, okay, this should work slowly. An hour later, the chair is not together. And I'm starting to think words in my head that no pastor should think in his head. <laughs> I'm about ready to tell my wife what I think of the chairs that she bought, and I'm gonna throw them through the stinking spa, right? <laughs> and I bet we've, we've all experienced that moment that I was in where you can feel the rage rushing through your body, right? Let me give you some examples. Parents, it's when you tell your kids like over and over to do something and they don't do it, or better yet, they tell you no. <laughs> or you're sitting in traffic, and you gotta be at a meeting, and it's important. Or you're frustrated because you've gone on date after date trying to find a spouse and nothing works, and this, this buildup of frustration just drives you crazy. And here's what patience is biblically. It's the ability to endure those moments and those circumstances in life and suppress your anger, to suffer long and not act on your anger. That's what patience is biblically. It's ridiculously hard to live out. It's why we all struggle with this fruit. And I wondered why, and I think it is because we live in a society today that is impatient, right? Our culture breeds impatient people. You see it everywhere, right? We love fast food. It's why there's a fast food place at every corner. It's why when you go to Greece, there's literally like a line around the highway just to get to Chick-fil-A. They're closed today, praise the Lord. <laughs> it's why we like Amazon Prime, right? I can get anything I want in two days, and if they don't give it to me in two days, it comes in three, I want a full refund. How dare they? 
Do you know they, they actually did a study? So let's say you're at home and you're watching your favorite Netflix show, your Hulu show, or you're on YouTube watching a funny video. And you click that, that circle play button, and we all just expect it to play, but every once in a while, you know, your Netflix show or that YouTube video gives you that like loading wheel. Yeah, loading wheel, you know, loading wheel. Stats say that the average person will only wait three seconds three seconds until they refresh that page or they push back and they play it again. Why? Because we're impatient. That's why we have cash advances for paychecks we haven't received. It's, it's why we love Google because we want something and we want it now. We live in a society that breeds, that creates impatient people. And here's what happens. Right? We live in this society, and it creates habits in our lives. It, we develop these habits of being impatient, and we take them from our society, and we bring them to the table in our relationship with God. And so when we need something from God, when we need healing, when we need God to provide, and he doesn't do it on our timetable, we grow frustrated. Where are you, God? Why haven't you answered my demand? I prayed for three days, God, and you've done nothing. And what happens is we grow bitter towards God. We get angry at God. We become distant to God. Maybe some of you are there right now. You're waiting on God, and he hasn't answered in your timetable. And you're mad. You're upset. Why is that? because we lack patience. We're not good at patience. I'm not good at patience. And when I studied the, these fruits of the Spirit, what's interesting about patience is it feels like it doesn't belong in the list. Right, you think about some of these potent characteristic traits like love and peace and joy and self-control and goodness and kindness, it almost feels like patience is the odd man out. Like, why would God, of all the fruit of the Spirit that he could pick, choose patience? Like, I don't get why it's in the list, and I think it's because our theology, our understanding of God, lacks depth. Because when you think about the God you came to worship today, God is a patient God. God is patient. Now, I want to pause here for a second, because let's just, let's just imagine you and I are having a, a conversation. Maybe it's in the lobby after church, or maybe it's throughout the week. And I were to ask you to describe God. I wonder if patient would ever come out of your mouth. If I were to ask you, who is God? I would bet you probably would say, well, well God is holy. Right, we just sang a song about the holiness of God. He's perfect. He's flawless. We probably, maybe sovereign would come out of our mouth, like he's in control of everything, omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere, all powerful, right? These are the ways we describe God, but patient? Is God really patient? And actually, God's patience has a huge impact on our lives. Because God displays his patience with humanity, with you and I. We are sinners, rebellious towards God, and yet God would be completely justified in just saying, I'm tired of humanity, I'm just going to wipe them out. And no one could blame him. 
It's probably of the two options, the better one for God. But God is patient with us. In fact, look at Romans chapter 9. I love this verse. It says, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath, prepared for destruction? And what Romans is getting at is the fact that we're we're sinners. We live in rebellion to God, enemies of God, and yet God doesn't pour out his wrath immediately on us, even though we deserve it. He gave us one and only son. He was patient with us. Why? So that we could experience him and know him and live in a relationship with him. I love what Barclay says. He says this, if God had been a man, he would have long ago taken his hand and wiped out the world. But in his macrothrumaya, that's the Greek word for patience, he bears with the sins the follies and the disobedience of men. The great obligation which rests upon the Christian is this, he must be as patient with his fellow men as God has been with him. See, we serve a a patient God, and out of God the Father, we see patience in, in Jesus the Son. Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, but when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, so it's talking about Jesus's work on the cross that covers our sins, it says, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstools. So Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God, patiently waiting to destroy evil. But the reason why he waits is so that you and I could come to know Jesus and be reconciled with him so we're not objects of that wrath. Paul talks about it like this. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, Paul's saying, I'm the example, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, God was patient with me. Even though I was the worst, a horrible sinner, a murderer, God gave me patience so that I'd be an example to all of us thousands of years later of how patient our God is. Peter echoes this. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means, what does it mean? It means salvation. Just as our brother Paul also wrote with the words of wisdom that God gave him. Patience, God's patience means our salvation. That's a big deal. And we come to this conclusion that the mark of a a spiritual mature Christ follower is patience. Right? Something that shows the the Christianity that I'm, I'm maturing in my faith, I'm being sanctified, is that I can hold and I can endure the frustration and the stress of life without acting on my temper or my anger or my frustration. And I love that word maturity. Because in Christianity today, we've, we've dumbed down maturity, being spiritually mature, to how long you've been following Jesus. Right, so if you've, if you've been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 50, 70 years, you just automatically assume the mantle of spiritually mature. And if that's your definition of spiritually mature, it's very flawed because I know people who've been following God for a long time that lack maturity. 
And see, Paul says the actual mark, one mark of spiritual maturity is patience. He gives a, a little bit of a list in the Ephesians 4. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, so I am suffering for God as a prisoner for the gospel's sake. He says, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does that life look like? He says, be completely humble. So humility is a mark of spiritual, being spiritually mature, gentle. And then he says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Right? It's interesting when you, when you read the Bible, you catch on to certain things. And when you see the word patience, often it's described as something. And we see it in this passage, and we see it in a lot of other ones. It's the idea of bearing with someone else. It's, it's, it's about taking on the burdens, the stress of somebody else's life and not holding it against them. You bear with one another. That's the descriptor of patience. And so let's get practical when it comes to patience. James helps us do that in James chapter five. He says this, be patient, brothers and sisters. And so James goes as far as to command us to be patient. Like this is something that as a Christ follower, it should live in your life. And it's interesting that he uses the term brothers and sisters, right? Because he's not talking about immediate family. He's talking about the, the church, Christians, followers of Jesus. And he says, hey, listen, you're not going to be patient if the spirit of God doesn't live in you, right? These are things that he produces. You can't manufacture them. And so right here, let's just ask a, a question. The question really that, that sums up this message, are you marked by patience. Now, before you, you, you hurry up and answer that question, no or yes, let's press in a little bit deeper. Would the people in your family, your spouse, your children, would your coworkers, your boss, your employees, your customers, would your coach, your roommate, your classmate, would those people in your life define you, describe you as a patient person? So when the job gets stressful and it falls on your shoulders, are you able to endure and hold your temper? As a parent or a spouse, when your kids or, or, or your husband or your wife frustrate you, are you able to withstand and suffer long without acting on that anger? Right? That's what patience is. And are you marked by it? And before you answer that question, James continues and he gives us some ways to really understand if we are patient people. He continues, he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rain? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And so James really asks us two questions that will reveal to us how patient we really are. And the first question he asks, he says, are you okay waiting? Are you good to wait when you need something from someone else? Are you good waiting on God when you want or desire something? He, used this, he uses this illustration of a farmer. And I love it because low-key, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd want to be a farmer. I'm not even joking. Like, I know I like to dress trendy, but like, I'm most comfortable in my muck boots, camo pants, and on my tractor. And I love this season because it's this gardening season. 
right? I've got a garden in my backyard, and if you've ever gardened anything, it's, it's, it's something you have to have patience for because you plant seeds and they take forever to sprout and you get this like leafy thing that hopefully stays alive and then it grows and then it flowers and you wait for that flower to turn into the, the produce and you gotta wait for it to ripen until you finally get a yield, right? And, and, and James gives us this imagery of waiting. How do you wait? Are you good at waiting? I mean, I've realized that I'm not very good at waiting. And this just happened to me recently. And to give you the context of this story, I actually need you to read a letter from my daughter to my wife. Check it out. If you're having trouble reading this, it says, Dear Mom, I love you. I hope the baby comes out soon. Love, Joelle. So if you're wondering if this is an announcement, it is. And we're having a fourth baby. <laughs> Listen, I, I told you sabbatical was good, right? So <laughs> I'm just going to apologize because I know my wife is watching this. Uh... But yeah, so we're expecting a fourth baby. We're really excited. But um, if you know my family and you've been around for any of my wife's pregnancies, she's just not really good pregnant. She gets really, and I don't mean that as an insult, she just gets really sick. And so most days she stays in bed. She does her best to keep food down, and she rarely does. We often end up in, in the hospital getting IVs, and so it puts a lot of craziness in, into our schedule, right? And so I'm trying to take care of my, my wife and, and the kids and just keep everybody uh, alive, and, and I get a tiny taste of what it means and what it looks like to be a single parent. And I have no clue what that is, but I just want to pause here and just shout out to our single parents because you guys are amazing, right? What you do for your kids... And I get like a three-month, four-month, five-month period where I have to like intervene and, and just love my family the best I can with work and, and taking care of them. One of the hardest things is, honestly, it's simple, but just like groceries. Like Ashley does all of that. And right when you, when you, you figure out how, how awesome your wife is when she's no longer available to you. And so like I'm like, kids, I, I don't usually get groceries. I don't got time to go get groceries. And so one of my friends tells me about this thing called Walmart Plus. If you never heard of it, it's kind of like Amazon Prime, where you pay 100 bucks a year and they'll deliver groceries to your front doorstep. And I'm like, this is a gift from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And so I, I sign up online and I do my first order and man, it shows up right to our front door. I am like holly and jolly and bouncing around like the groceries, the groceries are here. Holy smokes, they put the, you know, I said, so anyway, once I got over the thing, I just put the groceries away and we, we ate that, that week's thing of groceries. And it came time, I went online, I was like, okay, I'm gonna order the next week's groceries. They're gonna bring them right to our house. And I picked the time slot, three to four, right? They're gonna deliver them between three and four o'clock. And so, you know, Clock goes round, it's three, four, nothing's on my front door. I'm like, okay, whatever. I get an email, they, they're like, hey, we're a little bit delayed. I'm like, no big deal, this isn't that big of a deal. And so, you know, three to four, four to five, five to six. And I'm like, okay, it's kind of pretty delayed. So I pick up my phone, I'm like, I gotta call Walmart Corporation. And it's like, you know, press two, press five, talk to somebody who transfers you to somebody who hopefully knows what they're talking about, and you have to wait and listen to horrible music, and I'm like, okay, just want to talk to somebody, and so I 
get somebody on the phone. I'm like, hey, my groceries aren't here. It's been like three hours. Like, what's going on? They're like, hey, no problem. We're just a little bit late. They'll be there. They'll be there soon. I'm like, cool. You know, five to six, seven to eight, nothing. I'm like, come on. So I pick up the phone. I dial two. I push five. I get transferred. I listen to horrible music. And I'm like, oh, finally, another person. Like, listen, my groceries aren't here. And like, I just need them. Come on. They're like, okay, we, we're, we're getting to them. We're going to get them there today. And I'm like, okay, you know, eight to nine, nine to 10. I'm like, it's 10 o'clock. Like, Walmart's about to close. Like, I need my groceries. I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to play the pregnant card, okay? My wife's pregnant, so I dial two. I push five. I transfer. I'm waiting. I'm just like, I just need groceries. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, listen, I'm a little frustrated. My wife is pregnant. Yeah, I said pregnant. Like, I just need my groceries. And they're like, hey, we promise they'll be there early in the morning. I'm like, I got to go to work. They need to be early. So I wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, okay, waiting for my groceries. 5.30 to 6.30, no groceries. 6.30 to 7.30, no groceries. I'm like, I got to go to work. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I Ashley's got cravings. I got to get the cravings, right? And so, you know, and so I go to work and on the way to work, I push two, I dial five and I wait. And I'm like, listen, I just need my groceries. Like I'm frustrated at this point. I'm trying to be patient. I've been patient. Just bring me the groceries, okay? She's like, listen, sir, we understand. This usually doesn't happen. I guarantee your groceries will be there in an hour. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That's all I wanted. So an hour goes by, and I get an email from Walmart. Your groceries have been delivered. I'm like, yes, yes. And I scroll down, and there's a picture of the groceries on the front porch, and I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. That's not my house. (laughs) I'm like, Jesus, I need you right now. Oh, I need you. Like, and I'm like prepping to preach on patience. I'm like, serious, God? And so I, finally, an hour later, my left neighbor reaches out and like, hey, our right neighbor got your groceries. She posted it on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, sweet, I'm going to get my groceries. And I go to the left neighbor. I'm like, hey, you have my groceries. She's like, yeah, but I donated them. So today I'm resigning from preaching, so. (laughs) And what I realized in this whole process is, honestly, I'm not good at waiting. And I bet you've been there. I bet you've been there in life where you've had to wait on something you needed and you didn't do it very well. And James says, you want to know how patient you are? Just wait on something. You know, it's one thing to wait on groceries, But when you're waiting on God to intervene on something really important, it gets really hard and frustrating. And James presses in. He says in James chapter 5, he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing on the door. And so James says, not are you okay? He says, are you okay waiting? But also, how do you wait? Right? It's one thing to wait and complain and moan. And James says, have you been grumbling about your wait? Right? Patience is the ability to bear with one another, not grumble against the weight God's put you in. And that's what most of us do when we have to wait on something. Sure, we might wait, but we sure complain about it. We sure whine about it. And as Christ followers who are marked by the fruit of the Spirit, our weight, how we wait, should look different than everybody else's. So let me ask you the question again. Are you marked 
by patience? Is the Spirit of God producing it in you? And so let's get really practical. I'm winding down right here. I'm going to give you two challenges this week that you're not going to like. They're very, very practical. And the goal of these is not for you to manufacture patience, but it's to give you opportunities to ask God to produce patience in you. Two practical, very practical steps. As you leave here today, the first one, drive the speed limit. No amens on that one, huh? I'm serious. Something as simple as that will reveal to you how patient, impatient you are. When you're in the right lane and everybody's zooming by you, you're like, I hate Drew. <laughs> Another one, really practical. Choose the long line. This week, choose the long line and don't open your phone to pass the time. So when you get groceries, when you go through the drive through at the DMV, never mind, all those lines are long, with your kids at the gas station, choose the longest line. And listen to me, this is really important. When you do these things, right, I'm just expecting you to do these things. When you drive the speed limit and when you choose the long line this week, I'm not asking you to, to stand in the line and be like, okay, I'm gonna be a patient person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna manufacture this. I'm gonna create the energy and I'm gonna wait here patiently. No, the point is to give you opportunities to just simply whisper in your heart, God, I wanna be a patient person and I need you to mark me with this. I can't do it on my own and so God, as I wait and as I drive, create in me patience. Let's pray together. God, life is busy and it's hard to slow down. But God, I pray through really kind of simple and stupid challenges that you would reveal to us our lack of patience and that you would begin the process to sanctify us and make us look more like you. You're patient and so therefore we want to be patient. Help us get there. We can't do it without you. In Jesus' name, amen.